Good morning, church. I wish you guys could all experience what uh, we get to experience and listen to backstage. And when you guys lift your voices and praise to our Heavenly Father, it's just a beautiful sound. And uh, we are really, truly blessed to be able to, to enter into his presence through the worship and song each and every week. And I just want to tell you how blessed I was by that. We are in week number three of our series called American Idols. First week, we learned about the idol. What is an idol? And we learned that it's not like putting a little statue or a figurine in our house somewhere that we worship, but we learned that all of us can have idols because an idol can be anything that takes the place of God or takes the place of our worship and adoration of God, anything that we had just put that kind of emphasis on. Last week, we learned about the idol of more, and we learned from the rich young ruler, and we learned a little acronym called, it could be worse, I-C-B-W, it could be worse. So this week, we're going to tackle the idol of success, and this may be one of the hardest idols for us to deal with, but Honestly, it's one of those areas where we all struggle. And if you will learn to tackle this idol of success, I want to tell you, it will dramatically change your life. And this is a powerful message. In fact, it was so powerful, it put the lights out in the first service, okay? I'm not kidding you. It went dark in here. That's how, how powerful this message on, on the idol of success is. There were uh, two buddies from Oklahoma. Their names were... Rick and Allen, not the Rick and Allen that you guys know, but uh, another Rick and Allen, they decided they'd go moose hunting in Canada. And they hired this pilot, you know, with the pontoons on his plane so he could take off and land on the water to fly them way into remote area of Canada to go moose hunting. He dropped them off and he said, now listen, I want to remind you guys, I can only haul one moose out of here. Two would be too much weight. Okay, I'll be back in a week to pick you up. You guys be ready. Pilot showed up a week later. Rick and Alan were standing on the bank of this lake, and sure enough, two moose. Pilot was a little irritated, and he pulled up. He said, I told you guys I can only take one moose. You know, two would overload us. Well, Alan, he was a little bit more persuasive than Rick, and he said, well, you know, the pilot last year let us take two moose. And he had the same size and same kind of plane that you've got. Maybe he was a better pilot or something. Well, you know, the guy didn't want to be outdone. He said, he let you take two moose? Yeah, we, we strapped him on the pontoons. So the pilot, okay. They strapped these two moose on the pontoon. Then he taxied it into the lake. And he gave it the gas, just full throttle. And they skimmed across the lake, just about to run out of the lake. And they took off, just clearing the tops of the trees. It looked like they had made it, but just a few seconds into flight, sure enough, they crashed. It was a horrible crash, you know. Wreckage was everywhere. Rick came to first and looked around. There was moose parts everywhere. Wreckage of the plane was scattered everywhere, and he was dazed and confused, and he, he said, well, where are we? Alan said, well, he looked around, he goes, I think we're about 100 yards further than we made it last year. <laughs> so the moral of this story is, 
Are you truly successful if you don't end up where you want to be? The idol of success is a very powerful idol in our world. Everyone wants to be successful. We don't want to be second. Nobody wants to be average. We feel like we have to be great or that we're worth nothing. And in fact, it has taken over our, our society so much that success has now become a god in our country. It's become an idol. And we think that success, if we get enough success in this world, that it will keep us from all the problems that we have in life. Or that if I achieve enough recognition, if I achieve enough status, then all the problems in life will just avoid me. Maybe I can be respected by others and, and so esteemed by others that I just won't have any problems. That's not the case. A lot of people believe that Jesus was against success. But nothing could be farther from the truth because Jesus wants you to be successful, but he wants you to be successful in things that matter. And what matters is going to stand the test of time and eternity. He wants us to matter not for things here and now, but for things of eternity that are going to last. All right, now without Googling, I mean, you know, I don't want you guys to get out your smartphone, so without Googling any of these, I'm going to ask a, a couple of questions and just see how we, how we can do with the answers on this. Okay, no cheating. Who was the MVP of the 2015 World Series? Wrong. It was a player off my Kansas City Royals, Salvador Perez, okay? That was a big deal, and we've forgotten already? All right, maybe you'll do better at this one. Who was the MVP of the 2012 Super Bowl? Wrong. Peyton Manning, wrong. His brother, Eli, of the New York Giants, okay? Hey, we're not doing so good. What about who was the MVP of the 2011 NBA Finals? Very good. Are you a Dallas fan or were you in the first service? <laughs> Just a good guess. All right, let's... Those were some softball questions that we could just, anybody could hit those. Who won last year's Miss America contest? A woman. <laughs> Very good. I'm going to give you a guess. She was from North Dakota. Miss North Dakota? Kara Mund. And you guys have forgot already? Okay. What about last year's Indianapolis 500 winner? This guy, I mean, his, his name just rolls off the tongue. Takumuta Sato. <laughs> and we've forgotten, I mean, that was an important event. We want to be successful and great, but we have to look at what we're trying to be successful and great at. And that's how we judge whether we're truly great or not. And Jesus talks a lot about success in the Bible. In fact, he redefines the way we view success. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 23. 
And he's going to kind of show us what success looks like. Matthew chapter 23. And this is the beginning of what's known as the seven woes or, or the seven warnings to the scribes and the Pharisees. Beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. These two last verses I want you to, to, to really key in on here. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus completely redefines what we view as success in those two verses right there. He again breaks all the rules of what society says. And he begins to redefine greatness. And so if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Christ, you have to learn to measure your success in a way that's different than the world measures success. You know, I think we all want to feel that we matter. I think we all desire significance in our life. And at the end of our lives, we want to look back and say, you know, what I did mattered. What I did was important. I did more than just exist. The problem, though, is not the desire for success, but it's how we measure success. And our society measured success if you're good at something. So if you're great at these things, then you're successful in the world's eyes. See, our culture defines greatness as great atness. And you can fill in the blank and, at, at whatever that is. Great at this and great at that. Maybe you're great at throwing a baseball or a football. The Thunder's not so great at putting the ball in the, in, in the basket, are they? At least we, they weren't last night. We call this greatness when you can do these things. Maybe you can sing or you can write or you can speak or act. But what it really is, it's you're great at something they're really not the same thing according to Jesus you see the Pharisees were great at remembering the law they were great at putting all these burdens on people they were great at giving people their fellow Jews all these rules and regulations and rituals and they put this big burden on them but they weren't willing to help out at all Pharisees they were great at looking great in the world's eyes but they weren't successful in anything that lasts so this scripture 
contrast what the world says is success to what God says is truly successful. First lesson we can see here is that worldly success lacks integrity. Verse 3 tells us, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. So Jesus was saying, you know, they're telling you the right things, so do what they tell you to do, but don't do what you see them do. In other words, they were good at telling somebody else how to be righteous, how to be holy, but not following those instructions. So they were good at telling somebody else, but not, not so good at doing it. They didn't practice what they preached. In fact, Jesus had some pretty harsh words for them in verse 27 when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which out, outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. And we see this all the time, don't we? We see somebody that by world standards, they look very successful, and you think, wow, they've got it all together. Look at them. But inside, they are full of evil. They're full of sin, full of selfishness. We saw this in a very sad example right here in our own hometown of Enid just, a, just the last few months ago. A very successful, prominent businessman from all outward appearance looked like he was successful. He was respected. He was adored, but inside, he was carrying on a secret life. One of my favorite news personalities, Matt Lauer, was fired. Now, on the outside, it looked like Matt had it all together, a good-looking, sharp guy. Looked like he was successful in the industry, but inside he was full of sin, greed, selfishness. Worldly success also lacks sympathy. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. The bottom line is that they don't care about anybody but themselves. They didn't love anybody but themselves. And you see, these Pharisees were great at putting all these burdens on people. They were great at putting all those rules and regulations and that you have to do this or you can't do that, but they weren't willing to lift even one finger to help their fellow man. You see, worldly success does not care about anyone but themselves. It only seeks to get ahead. I often hear people talk about their job situations where maybe they work for a boss or their manager that just treats them like dogs. Just what can they do for me? And they're only concerned about the bottom line. Are we making a profit? How much? And they don't care how they're going to treat their employees as long as they get what they want. That's exactly the way the Pharisees were operating. They didn't care. They didn't love their fellow mankind, all I wanted to do was just get ahead. 
the scripture we see about a guy that was traveling and he got attacked he was mugged he was beaten and left for dead in the side of the road and the first guy that came by was a priest a pastor well he was late for a church board meeting or something you know something important and so he ah, guy looks pretty bad I don't I, I better not try to get involved and so he went by on the other side the next guy was the Levite he was a temple helper you know he also went by on the other side decided he wouldn't get involved and finally a Samaritan you know and the Jew and the Samaritan didn't get along well Samaritan was a half-breed and he looked over and he saw this man he went over bandaged his wounds loaded him up on his donkey took him to town put him in a motel paid the bill and he did this and the scripture doesn't call him the good Samaritan he's just a certain Samaritan just a Samaritan we're the ones that call him the good Samaritan so the Bible publishers use that as a heading, the Good Samaritan. But in fact, he was the Great Samaritan according to the way God views success. He wasn't just a Samaritan. He was the Great Samaritan because he did exactly what God said success is all about. Third thing we see here is worldly success lacks humility. They, all, they do all their deeds, verse 5 here, to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they, they love, to place the, love the place of honor at the feast and get the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They loved the recognition. They loved to drop their offering in the plate full of coins so it made a big clunk they love to say long wordy prayers to impress other people they did all the things that they thought would be successful and would be righteous in God's eyes but they lacked humility you see they lacked a genuine desire to please God the world's success is based on the approval of man and not the approval of God. So I want to ask you a question this morning. And this is a hard question. I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I just want you to think about this. Who are you living for and who are you trying to please? Who are you living for and who are you trying to please? Too often we seek to elevate ourselves and sometimes even try to look spiritual in the process and we try to puff ourselves up. The Pharisees, they were the ones that were great at doing that. They loved the accolades and the, the seats at the banquet of honor, places of honor, titles. They were all about making themselves look good. Even Jesus' own disciples kind of struggled with this. And it can be a trap for us too, friends. In Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last and a servant of all. You ever got caught talking about something you really didn't want anybody else to know about? And 
I'm like, what were you talking about? Mm, oh, nothing. Busted, weren't they? The 12 disciples wanted to be in a competition with who was the greatest. And in another passage, we also read they were arguing who was going to sit on the left, who was going to sit on the right. And, and Jesus said, you know, let me tell you how to be great. Be last in line. Be a servant of all. Kind of shut them up. They didn't know what to say. If you want to be first and if you want to be great and be true, truly successful, Jesus tells us we have to be a servant of all. So what, what does true greatness look like according to the Lord? He goes on to share with his friends about what true greatness is all about. True success needs no earthly recognition. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. You know, so many times we set out to make a name for ourselves. Maybe we're seeking that next promotion, that next job title. Maybe we're seeking that next rank, whatever it is, but we're showing that we're buying into the world's value system and that we're struggling with being great at fill in the blank, great atness instead of true greatness. Great at whatever we're trying to achieve. And i got to be honest, sometimes even in the church, and I'm, and I'm even going to be honest, sometimes even pastors struggle with recognition. You see, as a church, we do a lot of things for people in the community. We help a lot of people. But guess who gets the credit when we're the ones, the hands and the feet, who actually maybe deliver that? The pastors. We're the ones that get the thank you notes written and maybe we had very little to do with it. And it's easy to think, wow, yeah, I'm a nice guy. Look what we did. We can all struggle with that recognition. And God says, even sometimes trying to serve me and you taking that recognition that is reserved for him, we try to take it for ourselves. Remember, God says, when you struggle for me, when you serve me wholeheartedly, when you suffer persecution for me, rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. You see, there's a difference between affirmation and recognition. Affirmation is support or encouragement. Recognition means that you get the credit. And God says, don't worry about the credit. You do things in my name and don't worry about recognition and the credit. True success is also being a servant. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to get these two verses right here, 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
You see, success according to God is accomplished by helping others, just like Jesus. If you want to be successful, be a servant. Jesus came, yes, certainly to save us and to redeem us, but he also came, and this is where we miss the point, he came to serve us. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a foot washing service or not, but it is one of the most humbling experiences you can go through. And the Savior of this universe got it down on his knees with a pail of water, and he washed the disciples' feet. He came to serve. He came to, to save, but first he showed he was a servant. So Jesus calls us to change the way we measure success. It's okay to be great as long as our motive for success is servanthood. And any other desire to be successful, according to the scripture, we're flirting with idolatry. We're flirting with this idol of success. And so we need our image of success to be an image of service. And this was the law of the kingdom of God. And guess what? Even the king wasn't exempt. He said, we can't just talk the talk. We've got to actually do it. We've got to live like we're talking. And so he called his disciples, and he's calling us as his followers to rethink success and to view it in God's eyes because many people struggle with this idol of success, even Christians within the church. And somehow we think that we're going to change the world from the top down, but Jesus tells us the other way. He said, the world gets changed from the bottom up. So I want you to be very careful when you think about climbing the ladder of success because you're very likely to encounter Jesus on the way down to serve. So when you're climbing the ladder of success to the top, Jesus is on his way down to the bottom to serve. See, the American definition of success is how can you serve yourself with what you can accomplish? But God's definition is how can you serve others? And when we serve others, guess who you're really serving? Jesus. You're, you're really serving Jesus. So success should be our goal, but not our God. 